Welcome back to Redwall, a podcast where we remember, reread, and rethink the book series Redwall by Brian Jakes. If you give a mouse a fandom, that fandom will be very creative. I'm Jordan. With that. And I'm Derek. We have a very special episode today. We do. So this, this episode is to introduce Tapestry uh, and sort of highlight some of the artists who contributed to it. So uh, yeah, what, what is Tapestry, Derek? What, what is that? Yeah, so Tapestry, we kind of had this idea, or or maybe better speaking, Jordan had this idea of really just kind of tapping into the fandom and the artist creativity that we've seen on like Instagram and Twitter and all over the place online and all the stuff going on there. That's something that we don't necessarily do ourselves a whole lot. That's just not how we have engaged with the things we really like, uh, but I mean, it's impossible to deny uh, how many people are in into that kind of thing here. So we wanted to find a way to really like interact with that and get into that a little bit more. And and so thus, Tapestry was born as a way to hopefully do some of that stuff. Uh, and I think sort of in recognition that, you know, we started this podcast a little, I don't know, naive, not naively. Like I knew that people <laughs> were into Redwall and had stayed into Redwall, but I think I didn't quite know that there was an active fan community that's been regularly making art or whatever. Um, and so, like, in recognition that we're two people who have decided to regularly talk about Redwall, that does not mean we're sort of the authoritative voice on mm-hmm. Redwall. Like, there's there's been people who have been doing stuff long before we uh, decided to do this. So, this tapestry felt maybe like a way to recognize that uh and again you're not going to hear our voices very much in this episode and that's kind of by design like this is something we decided to put together to sort of highlight some of the folks whose relationship to redwall is is sort of different and maybe more consistent than ours um or not i mean it's it is cool (laughs) that like it whatever um this is where we expose that we're fake fans yeah we're fake fans uh yeah uh we're posers so we're gonna send it over to the real ones um but yeah so tapestry i guess at its core or most simplest form is a fanzine um so Mm -hmm. you it is now at the time you're hearing this it is released you can go to our website reredwallpod.com there's a tapestry section on that website where you will be able to download the PDF or uh, there is also a way to kind of preview and view the zine on the website itself. So that's, it exists in digital form. Uh, Hopefully in the new year, 2022, sometime it will take a physical form. Um, But for now uh, it's, it's all set digitally. Got some awesome submissions from lots of different folks, lots of different types of submission. There's visual art, there's writing, um, there's some more kind of multimedia stuff. Uh, So that's all there, um, all inspired by Redwall in some way, shape or form. So go check that out. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in the meantime, for the rest of this episode, you'll hear from some of the folks who contributed. Uh, So we... We had some conversations, not with everybody, um, but uh, a few few of the folks uh, who contributed were kind of willing and able to sit down with us. We kind of just talked about Redwall in general, uh, heard what the, each person's favorite Redwall book is, heard their kind of history with the series, and then 
kind of had some general discussion about fan art uh, and how it relates to Redwall. And then um, you'll hear folks talk about their submissions themselves. And then we also kind of kicked a big picture question to sort of round it out of mm-hmm. what makes Redwall Redwall uh, to, to, to you and how does that maybe show up in your work? And then how is that uh, affecting how you're anticipating the Netflix adaptation? So that's, that's kind of, you'll hear folks talk uh, through those kind of prompts. I had a lot of fun with these conversations. I, I thought it was really cool just to see, I mean, yeah, you have a diversity of folks doing stuff from, we can say all over the world uh, yeah, from like a whole bunch of age groups as well. Um, hearing people, how they relate with it, everything from just like picking it up back in the, back in the eighties to uh, hearing how it's like helping them shape their identity and stuff like that. It was, I had a lot of fun with it. Yep. So yeah, true to the spirit of tapestry, a lot of stuff featured in the zine and uh, a lot of stuff featured in these conversations. It's a, it's a big umbrella, this fandom. Um, and so we hope to have captured maybe some of that spirit here. Uh, so We'll sign off here, and then you'll hear from some of the folks who contributed to Tapestry. So, I, what do we sign off? What do we sign off for here? At a... uh, toodaloo. <laughs> toodaloo. My name is Willie. I'm from Ireland, and um. I am an artist. I did studied. I did art, and I do animation as well and motion design. Um, but my interest in Redwall began years ago, and it's from those books that's what got me interested in drawing. Then, such as, I suppose looking at all the books, I suppose I'll just have to go with the 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 first one. You know, it still holds up. It's still one that um that I think of fondly as well. So yeah, I say the first one still still goes still goes strong. I say I was a it was about 15 years now ago when I discovered it in my, in my late teens and such. And it was actually through the, through the cartoon, uh, first and foremost, that I, see, I might see the random episode here and there. And I was thinking, like, oh, this is kind of interesting. What's, what's this about? Quick internet search saying, like, oh, it's a, it's a book. I'll pick it up the next time I'm in, I'm in the shop. And, uh, was it reading through that just pretty much floored me. And it still has. So uh, pretty much back then it was a case of just getting my hands on as many of these books as I, as I could over the years and such as well. Um, and I did manage to get through, get through all, all the main books as well. And I, even like this year, thinking back, cause it was like around the summertime and I was just get that hit of nostalgia. I was thinking like, uh, that's how I used to spend my summers. And I was thinking like, I'll just re just, I think it was around the same time that you started this podcast. We were both just parallel thinking, I guess that I'll just out of my own intuition. I'll just read through the, through the whole uh, book scan, just as a, uh, out of a fit of nostalgia as well. Uh, yeah, just, and just falling all over, falling in love with them all over again. Um, especially for me, because usually in our household, everyone else was mad into, mad about the Harry Potter books. So for me, like, this was my own, this is my first love and still my main love of uh, books as well. You could draw a direct line, if you pardon the pun, that, like, cause it was those books that got me into drawing characters and cartoons is what got me intre- as what got me interested in drawing in general. I still have, like, the sketchbooks lying in my room, like, from, in my room from years ago now and i look at the drawings then i look at the drawings now i'm just like oh yeah big there's a jump in improvement i'll tell you that much anyway
those for the mag for the tapestry zine then i submitted uh two drawings the and for these i kind of wanted to look at the more i suppose more uh, the more peaceful more cozy atmosphere of redwall and such as well so less on the um less on the fighting more about like the coziness and the camaraderie of the characters and the coziness of the atmosphere that redwall brings that was something i kind of wanted to focus on so one of the pieces i did was gallivanting where it's a bunch of woodland creatures just exploring through uh the the woodlands this will start for my process it i would start off with mainly just sketching in the sketchbooks with physical pencil and paper and then taking that picture and maybe and then bring it into a program called clip studio paint then to paint it up then in a painterly style uh that would be it that piece was originally drawn last year it was for another fanzine that was in the works uh that was called uh called mouse flower but it didn't come to pass because that was like a month before covid hit and that put the whole kibosh on on that fanzine being uh, uh, created, so I thought this would be a kind of a way as um, to give it a new lease of life, so to put it out to put it out there for folks to to see. And then, in light of that, then I wanted to contribute uh, something new as well for the magazine for the zine, which is why I created a second piece called uh, which I've nicknamed uh, "Writing Records for Redwall." Where it's more of a cozy inside atmosphere of the squirrel scribe then writing writing her records and oh sorry writing her records in the the library. And again, there's uh, attention to the cozy atmosphere and such as well. You'd um, see the cup of tea, the steam from the cup of tea rising. Uh, you see the, the all the, the books askew on the bookshelf uh, while she's taking her notes and such as well. Yeah, no. When I first heard the announcement, uh, announcement, yeah, I was definitely excited and such as well because I think it was. I'd say, I'd say, I reckon your feelings will be the same. That uh, it was a case of where Redwall isn't the wasn't as publicly well known compared to the, say the likes of Harry Potter or Game of Thrones and such as well. So you hear that, and even but I was surprised to hear that when the, that was first announced on the socials, uh, a lot of folks were chiming and saying that they're they're hyped for it. Um, same with myself as well. So I I don't know what to expect really uh, in terms of both, but I do hear that like it was from the people that the same crowd that made over the garden wall, which was absolutely sublime piece of animation. So I'm I've I've good ho- I'm feeling confident that like they'll be able to to pull it off as well because I think even with over the garden wall, it's it's, given the time of the year now, October it has a, it really nailed that autumnal atmosphere, and I think if they could they get that atmosphere, they'll be able to get that atmosphere, just that like that pastoral, that cozy atmosphere down past then for for the the series as well. So my name is Rose. My pronouns are they, she. I am sixteen years old, and. My favorite Redwall book, I really like Mossflower and Hyrule Lane, though. I think those are the ones that come to mind. So I got my first Redwall book for my birthday, and it was a long time ago. I don't remember what age, but it was like my early teens, if not like between 10 and 14. And I, I didn't like know anything about the series. My mom and my sister got it for me because my mom knew about it, and at first... I didn't read it. Um, I don't really know why. I just didn't like, like it was kind of just a book to me and I, I didn't feel like driven to open it up. It, it, the, the title or the overview didn't pull me in. Um, but then I did start reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've been missing out. Why didn't I start this earlier? And I really liked it. Since I don't do a lot of like drawing about Redwall, I didn't really recognize it as fan art until you said so just now but i guess it is art yeah it is art and it is about the series so i guess it's fan art um 
in in regards to fan art of other people, I like when I was young, I didn't like have access to the internet. So I kind of discovered that fan art existed. Um, and that wasn't through Redwall, but then eventually I found myself like looking up, um, fan up a fan art about Redwall, just like on Google. Um, but yeah, I found Redwall fan art like over the internet. And then, like I said, I didn't realize that like I could do that. Um, but I, start I got into sewing also separately I got into sewing a couple years ago and so I I thought like just I don't know like six months ago I started a project um and it's not finished yet so I wasn't able to submit it but I started a project of sewing myself a costume based on like a self-insert character which is really cool and that's what one of my submissions is that um the cross stitch that I made is part of that um character um, and then the other one is just a stuffed animal. Yeah, I'll start with the necklace. So it's a cross-stitched excerpt from the tapestry, and it's kind of an original design and kind of based off of designs like in the TV show and by like professionals that actually worked on the project. Um, but I, I, I turned it into a cross-stitch pattern, and then I... I cross-stitched it um, and put it in a necklace, so like an oval-shaped frame, and then I put a string on it, so it is now complete. Oh, I also put backing on it, so there's a green backing. I, like I said, I made it because of a self-insert character. It's like an original character, except for instead of like with their own personality and traits and everything, it's like my personality and traits. Um, because then it's like more connected to me. If I were to make an original character, then it would be like, then it wouldn't be me. But with a self-insert character, I can make a backstory for myself within the within the universe. So I I sat down and I designed myself a backstory and an outfit. Like I said, the outfit isn't finished yet. Uh, it's a dress with an apron and then a green habit um, and then like accessories like ears and stuff. And the necklace, of course, is an accessory. So that's why it was fun. And my other submission is a stuffed animal. It's an otter, and I got him just from, like, a, there's, like, a wildlife sanctuary where I live. So then they have stuffed animals. So I got an otter stuffed animal from there, and I made him a bunch of clothes because um, I think... I think it's Rackety Tam. He's he's based off the character Arflo, which is a minor character. He only shows up in like a couple pages, but I really liked him. Um, I think he has like a great personality and he really just like saved the day, even though he only has three pages. So I wanted to make a character about him and I I collected um, materials and I got to make him an outfit. So that was pretty cool. I'm quite excited about the prospective uh, Netflix show. When I found out about it, that it was very exciting, um, and I know that there are some great people working on it. Um, there's a part of me that wants it to be like just the books, because that's like the original story. But I think that the the TV show is is a a fun idea. I'm excited for it. Um, you said. You wanted me to talk about if I want it to be true to the books or not. And I think I have a complicated opinion on that because on the one hand, the books are like the, like the books are the whole story. So, um, it would be weird if they like strayed from the books because then it would be conflicting. Um, like I know in the TV show that already exists, 
there's one character who's like whose gender is changed and there's like things that aren't exactly the same and it's it's difficult because um you have to like decide which one you follow but also i've been thinking recently that also the the books conflict themselves a lot like there's 22 of them and brian jake's read them over how many years so i can't expect them to be perfect um so the books have enough um contradictories within them and i've been thinking that um brian jake's whole like story is that he is the teller of tales right and it says it says that in in the beginning of at least one book and maybe a couple of books is that um he is he is the teller of these tales um and also reading the books you 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 get the sense that it's taking over it's the the span of the books is so so many like hundreds of years like at the beginning loam hedge exists and at the end loam hedge is like buried in the ground um so there's lots of years and I imagine if you are like the one telling these stories, it's, it's not like the books are what's happening. The books are like a recounting of what did happen. So I think that, um, it makes sense that they're not perfect because as if Brian Jakes it says that he is the recorder of these stories, then they're not going to be perfect. So I think that's a good way to think about the TV show too. My name's Jonathan Dukes, and I'm a British gardener and illustrator. And I kind of think, having gone through a lot of the Red Bull books ages ago, and more recently, I think it's Lord Brocktree. I constantly come back to that one as, yeah, as my favourite. I'm Wilfred Dukes. I'm... A kid who goes to school <laughs> in Worcester. And I think when I first discovered Red Wall, you just can't beat the classic three original Red Wall books. So I'm going to say Massimo, Red Wall, and um, Mossflower. I think they're just my three favourites. Uh, it goes back to 1987. Now, I'm 45. And in 1987, I would have been just. No, I was, I was 10. And it was my brother, and for my birthday, he gave me this very copy of Redwall. And I devoured it. I just ate it up super fast, but I then reread it and reread it. And, but in 1987, that was it. You had a book, you read it. I didn't know who Brian Jack, Jacks stroke Jakes, I now know thanks to you guys, it's Jakes. I didn't know who he was. Uh, there was, on the last page, there was an annoying thing about a, the Puffin Club or something, which you could join for further information. Uh, a newsletter, maybe once every six months or a year. That never happened. And it was kind of like, well, I've read this really good book. It, there may never be another one. And then a year or so later, I saw the next one in the bookshop, just happenstance. And I was like, yes, yeah, this is, a, you know, fantastic. And then... There was a point when I think I read and read and read them, and then I discovered comic books, American comic books, and the underground world of comic books, which all of a sudden 
seemed to speak to me as a as a teenager by then, sort of like a little bit more edgy. Uh, and that was it. Until um, over to Wilf. Yeah. Uh, we were in a charity shop one day, and my dad formally mentioned there was a book called The Pentecost Mice, which uh, I read it, and I didn't really feel it yet. So we were in this uh, charity shop, and I pulled it out and said, oh, Dad, is this one of the Pentecost Mice books? And he went, no, this is a book called Red Wall. It's a lot better, and I'll try and find my old copy in so you can read it. And I read it, and I loved it, so. So there was a, there was a kind of, uh, let's say, 20, uh, 13, 23, 33, uh, there was maybe a 28-year period where it didn't actually feature. Um, but interestingly, um, my wife worked in a bookshop as a bookseller, and even though she had never actually read Red Bull books, she knew of them because they were constantly big sellers. But, you know, as as you grow up, these things drift away and you suddenly have no interest in them. And then, you know, nostalgia and children bring you back, I think. Was I think five years ago when we reread Red Wall, and kind of yeah, so that was was five years ago, and that is when I started idly started to draw the characters, which became a bit of an obsession. So, but yeah, it's, it's, and then it's kind of we've we're still kind of chugging away at them a little bit. I've always drawn. That's what I've always done. And it's been comic books. I've, I've illustrated um, underground comics. But the that, that's the other thing which has been lovely about the, the rediscovering Red Wall books. And I'd totally forgotten about the he- chapter headings, the lovely little illustrations at the beginning. And those as a kid captivated me, and they still do now. And and I, I contacted the illustrator, Gary Chalk. He lives in France. Um, and he was, uh, he was quite amused to, <laughs> like he said in a, 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 a tweet, he said, he said, I'm really glad you like my Red Wall illustrations from close to 40 years ago. <laughs> and I was like, yes, okay, all right, yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he was pleased. But there wasn't, uh, so that, but I, I was, what started off as when I was a kid, I tried to copy those chapter headings. Well, uh, obviously, as an adult, I didn't want to carry on copying, so I, I started to come up with something of my own. For me, um, my submissions, I kind of, I've done quite a lot of the drawings of these of the Red Wall characters, um, and I probably bombarded too many of them because I, I can't edit myself. That's, um, <laughs> and it, it was interesting looking at them because I kind of, they're the first of the characters which attracted me. It's kind of like, as you're reading them, I would get an idea instantly of what what the character would look like, their stance. And, you know, and it is. My first one I think I did was uh, Mace, Sunflash for Mace. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but I also wanted later on, I started to in, put them, put backgrounds in so they got more of an old Methuselah in his gatehouse, which, um, I checked for time, how long it took me to draw. That was 27 hours. <laughs> 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 you 
Yeah, too many lines. Um, uh, that, that was, yeah, that was, so I'm, that's something I want to kind of do a lot more now is, is put the, put the characters in the environment they are, you know, where they live, because it adds, you can tell so much from an illustration with what's around them as opposed to just being in a blank space, which is, which is my default, really. I kind of, it's a standing figure with no background, so I kind of I try and push myself a little bit. We're into the Marvel Universe quite a lot, and recently they've released a series called What If? And so I was kind of thinking, should I interpret my love of What If into the Red Bull books? And so I kind of just put, like, I flip through the books and, like, changed a little thing and just created my own short story of characters from one change in the book. So I enjoyed writing them and yeah, they were quite fun. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite, imp- it was very interesting to see Wilf work away and kind of pinpoint the critical moment in, in the books, which then would affect the rest of the narrative. And, you know, he did that and yeah, they're, they're brilliant. It's two things. First of all, he is, yeah, as you say, very rich in his descriptive, very seductive in his in his writings as well. I mean, just the I would happily spend a lot of my life in cavern hole or yeah, uh, you know, sort of. You know. <laughs> but they are so. Sort of, I mean, this is where I kind of. It's very interesting. He's not patronising in his writing, and it's not sort of like, oh, this is a book for kids. So I'm going to make it frivolous and silly. He go, you know, there's full on depth of writing there. And so that adds to what how I visualize these things. But also, some of the characters are just cool. They are, you know, as you were saying a few weeks ago, you know, uh, Mario is badass. Uh, in a British accent, that sounds a bit... <laughs> doesn't really work um you're frightfully badass isn't she Wilfred? <laughs> yes <laughs> but but you know they are cool characters the badger lords are as uh, they're kind of you know they're the, the the strong brooding cool guy in a in a superhero strip you know they are just brilliant and they're, they're flawed as well which is also you know something you've talked about in the past with guests is that the characters aren't black and white. They they fail moralistically. Maybe it's Brian Jakes was writing as well, but they're kind of they're not. There's a inconsistency with who they are, which, bearing in mind that they're animals, makes them a bit more human. I think, from you know my perspective. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Um. I think the fact that all throughout most of the stories there is just Redwall Abbey, I mean, it's at the heart of the stories and like the early stories about how they created it and how Martin the Warrior founded Redwall and they lived there and all of that. So I think Redwall might be the thing which makes Redwall Redwall, if you know what I mean. It's the, the kind of the culture which is they've, they've yeah. developed in the book. And there's something which struck me uh, yesterday uh, we went to see the eternals uh, the new marvel film and i was i was watching it and i was thinking well this isn't iron man uh oh, come on, let's have, yeah let's have some 
character. Let's have some kind of chatting, talking, you know, just be between these characters. And they did it a little bit, but it, it for me, it wasn't really working. Now, what ad- any adaptation with the Red Bull books, they have to have, no matter how kind of grim the story can be and how, uh, you know, unpleasant at times or how kind of seemingly a little bit desperate, they, they have to have that warmth of friendship, which he gets so well. And, I mean, his food writing. I mean, I remember as a kid reading them and salivating and having to stop and like go down to the kitchen to eat more and more because it would just make me hungry. But they have to capture that um, connection between all of these, all the characters and how there is this kind of central warmth and love between them all. And it is, as as Will said, it, it is in the Abbey. It's, um, and, you know, how the stories start and end there as well. Uh, so that's it. it, it it's got to be, it's got to be warm and uh, without being schmaltzy, because it could quite easily turn, you know, sort of a little bit like that, I think. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. And, oh, I mean, uh, in addition, if I don't cry at least once, in whatever they do, it, it will have failed because there are there are bits in these books which, yeah. I mean, there's old Methuselah in the first one, you know, and, and it goes on and you know, and mask, uh, um, um, the kestrel. Oh man, the kestrel! Yeah. Oh god, we can't even talk about kestrel. So I'm Izzy. I'm known around online as like Izzy Span or Izzy Sykes um, or by my fursona's name, Sean Deere, because I'm a furry. Redwall definitely didn't have a hand in that. (laughs) Um, I use they them pronouns um, and I do my own podcast, uh, Abbey Archives, which is a Redwall reread podcast, you know, (laughs) my favorite book. Now, the caveat is that I have read many of these books and remember nothing. (laughs) But Outcast of Redwall is the one that I have read the most and that I remember the most of. And it is one of my favorites. And I'm going to greatly enjoy ripping it to shreds. Because the way that Brian wrote it was bad. (laughs) So I actually first started reading Redwall when I was in about fourth grade. Because my school library had uh, Redwall as well as one of the Tales books, uh, which I don't think I ever read the Tales books because at that point I was like, I'm done with chapter books. I want novels. <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> and so I read the first one, loved it, and like would not stop talking about it to my mom. And so she bought that book for me um, from the used bookstore as well as a few others because they had them. And then she just kept buying them for me, which is how somehow at one point I ended up with three copies of The Long Patrol. She kept forgetting I owned that one. I'm like, Mom, I I, I have this. She was like, oh, well, you have it again. (laughs) And throughout, like, middle school and, like, parts of high school, I would keep reading it. And I would come back to it every once in a while if I needed something that wasn't, like, a YA dystopian novel or twilight or you know just the 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 shit that a teenager in the like late aughts and 2010s would read you know all of that 
<laughs> interview with a vampire. The the vampire craze happened then. And then when I graduated, I kind of fell off reading them, which is why a lot of the later books, like I just I didn't read them at all. And I just it's it's every so often like the books have traveled with me. I've moved a few times and the books have traveled with me. I've never gotten rid of like any of them except for like duplicates. And it was within the past two, three years that I've kind of started paying attention to it again. I was never part of any of the like Redwall online communities because younger me didn't think that that was a thing at all. There's a lot of stuff that I was very into when I was younger that just did not occur to me at all that it was a, I could talk to other people about it online. Anytime I found somebody who had read Redwall, I would freak out. I'd be like, you read Redwall too? Oh my God. Because none of my friends had read Redwall whatsoever. <laughs> and now we are here where I'm just like, you know what? We're going to do a podcast. And my friend Kit, who lives on the other side of the country, was like, hell yeah, we're going to do a podcast. <laughs> so I actually, a lot of like, my art career has been a mix of original work and fan art. Uh, I've always kind of, ever since I figured out that I could talk to people online, I've been in fandom circles. Like the first fandom online I was part of that was like a media fandom was Naruto. <laughs> Naruto, Inuyasha, Bleach, like your sta bog standard, really bad animes. <laughs> uh, Pokemon fan art, stuff like that, like um redwall fan art i did do a little bit um but i wasn't as confident in my ability to draw animals at the time uh now i am less confident in my ability to draw humans because i became a furry <laughs> there's a very very good video on this that will do a better explanation than i will in just a few words and it's a bit of a longer one but it's by jonathan Vare on youtube um, also known as Stigmata in the fandom. Um, they do a very good video that breaks down what is a furry and it kind of goes into what is the difference between a furry and an anthropomorphic character. And the difference between them is intent, at least for me. And that, that is a very good way for me to kind of separate the definition. Cause like Tony the tiger, not a furry, right? That's a serial mascot. The Trix Rabbit is a serial mascot. Bugs Bunny is a cartoon character, but not a furry. Aesop's Fables characters are not furries. They're anthropomorphic animals. Furries are an identity a lot of the time. Like, people use their personas as a way to explore their own identity, their own inner turmoils. They're very, very, very personal and require... Well, they don't require, I don't want to gatekeep. They don't require a lot of thought to be put into them. But as you start really connecting more with this character that you have decided represents you, you are inevitably going to put a lot of thought into why is this what represents me as a person? A lot of, it's really, really funny. A lot of uh, trans women figure out they're trans because their personas were girls. <laughs> Same with, like, trans men and, like, non-binary people in the furry community. Like, since I st uh, graduated from high school, my personas have drifted more androgynous. And now I'm non-binary. <laughs> and I do, a I do a lot of furry and fantasy art now. 
I do a lot of creature design and things like that. I still come back to fan art and I just, I like doing fan art as a kind of way to wind down when I'm not doing like commissions and stuff. Um, I used to do like one of my defaults to draw is actually like my little pony style stuff because it's just the shapes are so simple and easy that being able to do something that's just like curved lines and just happens. It's within the past year that I've started doing some more Redwall artwork just because Kit and I were figuring out like, what would our Redwall sonas be? And for the longest time, mine was a wolf because I was that kid. <laughs> I was like, this is a wolf pirate because I want wolves in these books. Dang it. <laughs> um, but now it's like, no, I'm, I'm an otter. I should have known this from the beginning. <laughs> So I drew a uh, gentle gingivere from Moss Flower, and really the reason that I chose to draw gingivere is because I had just, like, we had just finished reading Moss Flower for Abbey Archives, and so he was just in my head, and I wanted to draw him like a portrait um, that my, that would be hanging like in the Abbey if it would be hanging anywhere um, of gentle gingivere who, you know, helped the quorum, helped, like, overthrow his sister, and then just went to live on a farm. Because he didn't want anything to do with, like, fighting and being a ruler. He just wanted to be a person. And having that, like, homestead as the background, it just felt like a good kind of homage to Gingivere and what he did in the story. Um, and the dynamic way that I have him kind of also in front of the frame that I drew for the image kind of pulls on how in the Redwall books, like paintings and tapestries of certain characters, uh, Martin, <laughs> feel like they're alive. For me, if I was going to start like consistently drawing Redwall works, Something that I would try and pull on is what we imagine when we think of a forest in, like, the UK. Not full of fairies and not, like, fantastical like that, but that loamy ground, the old, old first-growth trees, the, the dappled sunlight coming through the leaves to the ground, and the kind of the mix of vibrant and muted colors, depending on what it is. And like with the, the creatures, it would be kind of like trying to give them a consistent set of features. Um, like you saw, I drew gingivere with hands, but the hands look like paws almost very kind of, um, Don Bluth style was what I was going for with the hands. Like if you've ever seen secret of Nim. I really like how he draws, like, paw hands, um, and being consistent with how I'm drawing, like, certain body features, like their legs, when I'm drawing Redwall characters, because they're not, it's not like a furry, where a lot of times furries, their legs can pass more as a person, they're usually much longer than they should be. What I want from the characters that I draw for Redwall is that they could ostensibly transfer from being on two legs to four legs with very little issue. You see it in the little like like chapter artwork that you get in some of the books, um, especially the older copies of the books. Um, Kit has some copies that just don't have it in it. And I'm like, why? Why did they make this decision? 
Um, trying to pull in some of the elements of that into the artwork, into any like adaptation would be fantastic because they're very like illuminated manuscript kind of things and they're very pleasant to see. I would like to see them pull in like some of that kind of illuminated manuscript kind of aesthetics as well as like just for the love of God, please don't make it gritty. <laughs> we don't need the gritty grimdark in Mossflower. They're supposed to be hopeful tales. They have happy endings for the most part not for everybody but you know for the good guys they're supposed to be hopeful stories they're supposed to end in a way that is hopeful for the future like we're going to survive we're going to keep going our children are going to have this story to tell uh kind of vibes and also the badgers should be big <laughs> I'm Sarah, also known as the Lost Mouse Maid on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, and occasionally Reddit. Uh, my main thing is that I post a bunch of Redwall memes, um, and every now and then I have a poll or start a discussion over on Tumblr, so I have a lot of fun doing stuff like that. As for Redwall books, my favorite one, hands down, is Matameo. It's my favorite. Um, I think... When it comes to those books, the first book is the best in terms of literary elements and being a standalone thing. But in terms of liking the adventure, uh, Madame Mayo is my favorite. So I was actually introduced to the series when I was about 10 or 11 when Nelvana released their animated show. Um, and I really liked it. So my dad would get me the books. And as soon as I finished one book, he would get me another one. And it was really awesome that he did that for me. I devoured those books pretty quickly, um, continued reading them. Huge fan um, all throughout middle school, high school, uh, even in college. In college, that was when uh, Brian Jakes actually died. So I was still super into the fandom uh, when that happened. And it was kind of a really heavy blow. I remember um, I had a bucket list at the time and I wanted to meet him and it was on that list. And unfortunately, that got crossed off. But um, a friend of mine, he actually did get to meet him and he had a book, uh, Loam Hedge, actually, signed by him and sent that to me. And it was a really special thing. After college, you know, life was wild and I was trying to get my footing in the world. And of course, that takes a lot of time. So I kind of fell out of um, interacting with people online, fell out of reading the books and everything else. And then COVID happened. And um, that was just a nightmare. I was working from home doing debt collection in a one bedroom apartment. And I was like, I need some peace in my life. I need some comfort. I need something. I'm about to crash with this. And so eh, where does my brain go? I went back to Redwall. So I picked all the books back up. I had like six of them out on my desk all at one time, just like bouncing back and forth between all of them. And it, you know, it may be a children's series, but it's kind of my happy place. Like I read all kinds of books and I get into fiction, nonfiction, just everything. But when it comes to Redwall, it's a happy place. And so I just jumped right back into the fandom online, started making memes and all the other stuff. 
That's how I came back to it. Okay. So I submitted two things. I submitted a meme because I had to. Um, and I tried to kind of tie it into what it's like listening to your episodes. Um, you know, this is a small fandom and not very many people. Um, I don't meet very many people that are into it. Um, so it's interesting listening to other people discuss it. And, you know, a lot of times you're just listening and kind of getting a feel for how they feel about it. Sometimes they start to get where you're feeling. And then sometimes they say something that could have come out of your own head. And so it was one of those level memes. And um, I just thought that was funny because I've experienced that quite a few times listening to you guys. So that was that was the easy one. That's the one I submitted because I had to. I mean, it's a meme. It's what I do. But the other submission was um, a fan fiction. And I think uh, you originally had a word count of like, what was it? 800 you suggested, I think. So I thought I had a 1600 word submission, but it was like 2500. But I kind of, um, like we say, um, it's a fan fiction and it's from my favorite book, which, well, inspired by my favorite book, which is Matameo. That story was actually, um, kind of got started by a, um, a post I made on Tumblr. And I was rereading uh, Matameo, and um, I know you list, you read it and discussed it not too long ago, but uh, just kind of a recap. It's before he was captured, um, after Matthias gave him the talking to of his life, and he's on his way to the kitchens, and he stops, and he talks to Martin on the tapestry. And you can tell he's he feels bad about some things. You can tell that he wants to do the right thing. You can tell that he wants to be a hero at the same time. And he's just so um, just so lost in what he's doing and trying to figure it out. And I thought, how is this possible? Like this is like the most spoiled kid in the whole the whole abbey. He's got everything and he's got a dad who very clearly loves him but he seems totally out of it and he's talking to the tapestry saying i can feel you watching me like i wish i could do these things i'll try to be a better son all of this stuff and then obviously the tapestry doesn't respond it's a tapestry and he says you know you remind me of my father and i thought that was one of the most heartbreaking moments in the whole book because it's an inanimate object and he just bore his heart to it and nothing happens because it's fabric. And he says, you remind me of my father. And I said, oh my God, that is, <laughs> that's such a sad moment. So he's got this dad, he's got this great dad and everything, but the image he presents to the world is an image and he hasn't really had the opportunity opportunity to be super real to his son and talk to him about the struggles he goes through. But Matthias is totally worshipped. And it makes sense that, you know, his son would be spoiled. There's something missing there. They really don't have a strong relationship uh, in the book. So I thought that the book was, the actual book, Matameo, was missing those moments with Matthias and Maddie. Um... Especially because just so many things happened and this conversation needed to happen. Like, I mean, no tea, no shade to, you know, what's going on in the Abbey with, you know, General Ironbeak and everything. I would have been fine if we cut all that out and just had more stuff with Thais and Matty, but it didn't happen. Um, in canon, they 
see each other again at the battle. They get out and Matthias hands Matameo his sword like two or three times. And like, you can tell like they're feeling good because they're back together, but these things don't just heal. They don't just fix themselves. Something needed to happen. So I wrote a story where they have these discussions about, you know, what it means to be a warrior and that it's okay that Matameo isn't the copy paste version of Matthias. And you know, that Matthias has been scared too, because he absolutely has, but Matameo doesn't seem to know that. He doesn't seem to know that he struggled. And I wanted to make that moment for them. Um, kind of another thing too. Uh, you talked on this when you did the episode of Matameo. Um, there's, you know, the moment happens where the cave-in occurs and Matameo clearly has a, a breaking point. And then after this, you know, they say, oh, he's a warrior now. And, but what makes him a warrior in this moment is the fact that he totally hides his emotions and he's completely stoic around his friends. And I understand saying, okay, you're a warrior now because you're not, you know, berating Cynthia or something. But making, you know, saying that he's a warrior because he doesn't have emotions, because he doesn't feel anything, because he's focusing solely on his image frankly, I think is kind of a harmful thing. And I love Brian Jakes. I absolutely do. I love Redwall. But I um, I think there are some discussions to be had about what it means to be a hero. And if I can change that a little bit in fan fiction, I will. I absolutely love Redwall. So there's so many things I want to maintain. But I think the thing that comes down to me the most is um, probably the quality of characters and the um, the emphasis on peace as the end goal, I think, is the primary thing. Um, there's another article that I was reading on Friday that referred to the paradox in the Redwall books, where this is a foundation of peace, but it's founded on war. Um, and it is a paradox. It absolutely is. So I think it really needs to focus on the emphasis, uh, really emphasize the fact that peace is the end goal. and. Uh, you know, we see this in Brian's writing all the time. Good guys die all the time. Good guys get hurt, and that sucks. Um, but we need to keep an eye on the goal and everything. And I think as long as the characters and the essence of that um, are there in when they make this show, I'll be fine with that. I mean, if you need to have a little artistic license to, you know, do something a little bit different um, with what's happening in the action, I'm not bothered by that in any way. I think the things that make Redwall special are more foundational than that. Hello, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. And stay Redwall. Stay Redwall. Stay Redwall. Stay Redwall. Stay Redwall, everyone. Stay Redwall.